Hello Gems! Welcome to another episode of TRs in Tech. I'm your host, Shelley Benhoff, and today I'm talking to Sean Wildermuth, and he's a Pluralsight author and a filmmaker. I wanted to include Sean in the show because he is an ally for women and also marginalized groups, and he even has a movie about it called Hello World that you can get on any streaming service. He's also currently working on a new film called I'm Fine to discuss the sexual abuse of boys, which is also an important topic that is not talked about nearly enough. We talked about his observations about how people need to speak up when they recognize injustice, his journey with mental health, and how we can better support each other in the workplace. Without further ado, on to the episode. Hey, Sean, thank you so much for being here. I'm really, really glad that you're here. Well, thank you for asking me to do this. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. So let's just jump right in and have you tell us uh, your tech story. So uh, I don't have that uh, normal of a tech story. That's good. I uh, got a um, VIC-20 when I was very young, uh, early 80s, become sort of fascinated with computers. And um, that led me to accidentally get a job when I was 16 writing code for minimum wage for this guy that my mom had actually dated once. And all my mom did was talk about, you know, that I was holed up in my room um, playing with computers and, and he ended up hiring me for a summer job. And uh, that was kind of weird. It was, you know, trial by fire and I had to learn things pretty fast. And I got so uh, into it that I ended up dropping out of high school to continue to work there full time, which is not the suggested path. I don't know if you know this, but, uh, mm -hmm. um, and then when I, uh, hit 18, I got my GED and decided I needed college. And so I went to college, uh, for about 18 months and I quit because I was working full time writing code at some other place. And, uh, you know, normally that sort of beginning story would be, you know, that's cool. You've been doing it for a long time, but when I was 22, I uh, thought I was burned out. Okay, at 22, I didn't know what burned out was, but I uh, grasped onto that idea. I sort of ran away from home for a couple of years, and uh, I have this weird experience that um, I was good at software, but I didn't want to be a computer guy because there's nothing, at least in the um, late 80s, early 90s, that was as unsexy as a computer guy. Like I preferred to tell people I was unemployed at parties than to tell them that I worked in computers. Though if you have ever seen me, you can see me here. I, I look like a computer guy. Like there's no getting away from it. I, you know, I'm not straight out of central casting for what, uh, you know, Hollywood thinks is a computer guy at least. Um, and so when I came back, I just sort of leaned into it. And so from my first job to now, I guess I've been doing it. Math is hard. 31 years? Wow. 36 years? 36 that's years. That's amazing. Yeah. So uh, I'm way older than I look. And, you know, that's both a plus and a minus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I I am younger than I look, I guess. I've been in the industry for 23 years. Wow. At this point. Yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, I think that that's an awesome path. I, um, I, I really champion people who skipped college, you know, um, people who don't have that, um, either the opportunity, you know, or people whose learning style does not fit well with such a structured environment. I know plenty of people who are like super smart and amazing, but aren't good at school. And that's totally fine. Yeah, you know? I do. It, uh, I am also, um, I love the idea that in this industry, it can be a great second career. A lot of people who, you know, want to change what they've been doing or feel stuck or, you know, the boot camps have become a bit of a scam. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. there, there are still good boot camps out there, but there's a lot of predatory behavior. But it's been good to, uh, to watch people be able to get into this industry without necessarily needing, you know, to go back to school for four years, which is what, you know, college might feel like you need to do. But there's other paths there. Because I, I'm very interested in the way that this career, seemingly more than some, um, can be sort of generationally changing for people. Um, you know, the, I sort of took it as a, uh, um, a given that everyone, uh, had this idea that you could sort of change the world with what you did. And that was a very naive idea that, like, that wasn't true at all. Um, but there's something about learning to code where you can see I can make something do something that I think changes people's view of the world. It's not just that this is a pretty well-paying job or maybe too well-paid, but that's a whole nother discussion. Um, <laughs> but that uh, being able to create and see, oh, maybe I can make a website that helps people to do this, or maybe I can, you know. It, it, it's a very empowering profession. Absolutely. Yeah, there is no feeling greater than making something out of nothing and it being amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So um, recently we um, had a interview. I have a course um, with the longest name ever on Pluralsight, Eliminating Bias, Prejudices, prejudices and stereotypes through increased understanding of others. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah, I know, right? They always give me the long um, titles. And I had a um, chat with you, but it was only 10 minutes. And so I was like, we have to do a podcast too. Um, and we talked about uh, gender bias. Um, and one of the points that you um, talked about that I really wanted to expand on is your um, observations about your um, tech path and women's as well. Yeah. And and I think to some extent, uh, people of color as well. Like uh, Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. What I realized in making uh, Hello World, um, which is a film I made, um, was that I had a, I had sort of a role to play. I always thought because I grew up relatively poor and that I didn't really finish college and I didn't finish high school that I'd gotten really lucky in being able to find, you know, 
a job that would accept that. And that job became another job and that it sort of built all that up. And I like that. There's a lot of things I've, I've uh, written about before where I talked about being lucky. Lucky was a word that um, I used a lot. And it wasn't until I started talking to people about their experiences in the, the industry um, and getting into it and staying into it that I realized that um, a lot of it was privilege. Because when I walked into an interview, you know, like I alluded to earlier, I looked the part. I looked like I would get along with the all white uh, cargo shorts wearing, uh, Birkenstock wearing, you know, team. Um, and that told me that the, the road was harder than I thought it would be. Like I really thought uh, computer uh, writing software was a meritocracy and it's not not a meritocracy like once you're in the door but there's still all sorts of barriers both to getting the job and staying in the job and uh, i think it's easy um to not see that if you're in this position where you think that you got um uh you got into it or got the job purely on your merits now that doesn't mean i'm not a bright guy or that i'm not good at what i do it's not discounting that but you know uh, getting in the door, or at least getting the phone call. You know, um, I worked for a company many, many years ago, not a tech company, um, really a a con company. But we'll uh, we'll talk about that. I left when I, once I figured out what they were doing to people. Yeah. Um, but I saw them go through uh, resumes and discard resumes based on ethnic names. Right? I I was like, what are you doing? Well, you know, a Kendra really isn't going to fit in here. And I was like, fit in? Oh, shit. You know, it's like that moment where um, uh, there's a, a comedy sketch where these Nazis are saying, wait, are we the bad guys? Like, I felt like I was in that of like, oh, I thought I was doing the right thing, but I'm contributing to the wrong things. And that was really epiphany because when I started the movie, I really started it wanting to make this sort of love letter to our industry. And there was a moment where I had created this sort of montage of a bunch of the interviews I had done. And my editor's wife was like, that's a lot of white guys. Like, and I didn't even see it. And that's part of the problem that I see with bias. And I, st there's still moments like I'm not perfect around it. I know that um, there are times I probably passed on people of color or women because I, at that point I didn't see the issue, you know, Oh, are they going to get along and all these, you know, these um, false flags about what it really was about that there's uh, that I had implicit bias, even though on the surface I felt like I was pretty above board. And what happens in those um, moments of, you know, realizing that, I had a stake in it. I was like, oh, no. Um, the moment really came when I was making the movie that I realized I'd never worked with a woman developer that wasn't from East Asia, like never in North American or European, that um, certainly not a person of color as a developer. And it wasn't that I hadn't worked with them that bothered me as much as that I'd never noticed that they just weren't there. It's like, there's plenty of women in tech in QA and then technical writing and all these like mm -hmm. roles in my brain 
I thought were, well, that's where women fit in here, even though it wasn't conscious, but it was certainly unconscious. And, and I'm bothered by that, that I was able to um, be, contribute to that. Yeah. You know, I am also, you know, it's a, it's a journey. I am extremely privileged. I, I grew up wealthy. Um, and so I think that when I was out into the real world, because I was also really sheltered as well, mm -hmm. but like now I've traveled the world. I've been to China. I've been to like, I can't even name all the countries I've been in, you know, I, um, and the best way to get rid of bias is to experience other cultures, to be the person in the room that doesn't speak the language. Everyone else is, is speaking like Indian, I'm sorry, Hindi or, or whatever. And you're sitting there like, are, are they talking about me? I have no idea. Yeah. That feeling of, you know, you're uncomfortable. Lean into that. Don't, you know, just run away from it or avoid it. I started um, teaching, you know, inclusion and stuff like that purely because I was a woman. But like through this process, I've learned all about LGBTQ people and people of color and I'm friends with people of color now. So like I, I have a much different view of the world because I, I have um, opened up to new experiences and all of that. Um, but anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. Yeah, you're wanted, fine. <laughs> it's a podcast. It's what we do. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, um, I wanted to talk about, um, obtaining a job as a woman. I think for me, it was easier because I started at a time where there weren't any deaths. <laughs> you know, it was mm -hmm. new. It was like exploding. And so I was able to find jobs. I was not able to keep them. I have had something like 22 or 23 jobs in my career. So that was like an average of me changing jobs once a year. You yeah. Know? not my choice. I've been, I've been laid off like so many times with no, um, warning yeah. at all. Um, what was my point there? <laughs> I'm tired. It's getting late. Oh, right. So I had one job where, um, the, the interview process took like three months or something, right? Yeah. This was the worst, um, experience I've ever had. They made me get certified in a specific technology. Not only that, on the certification exam, I had to get at least a 90. So when people offer um, challenges like that to me, I'm like, hold my beer. So yeah. I <laughs> did it, you know. When I started the job, I asked everybody else, like, how they did on the exam. And they were like, what exam? Yeah. <laughs> that is a very good um, indication that that's not a good place to work for. But I stayed loyal. And guess what? They let me go after 
after four years. That was actually the longest job I, I had. But yeah, I was, I was laid off after like a couple years of just BS. Yeah. And that, this idea of gatekeepers is, is really difficult. You know, the, um, I don't know why, uh, there's this, uh, need to make, let me say it in a different way. I feel like jobs that, um, will hire women put them under way more scrutiny. Like the, the, um, um, hurdle is a lot higher for women because they have to be the best of the best to get hired. Whereas there's some, like if, if a man is confident, he'll probably get the job. Like that's, you know, whether they're competent or not, they're confident, you know, and that's, um, that goes a long way because I think, I don't know how much of that is implicit versus, uh, explicit bias. Like, uh, there's a woman I interviewed for the film that, that said, you know, um, sexism and racism are real. They happen in tech, but the much bigger issue is the people that don't know they're being biased. They don't know that they're doing X, Y, or Z. And of course we want to get rid of uh, sexism and racism. We're not talking about that. We're talking about this idea that, uh, that women and people of color don't fit or that have to be overly capable or, you know, and it's interesting because, uh, as, as, uh, as long ago as the early seventies, this was a job, um, overwhelmingly done by women. Like this isn't, this is a relatively new phenomenon that, we we think of you know the computer people as a certain thing um but i think it's important to know another thing in the last five maybe ten years our industry has become more aware of the bias and certainly companies are trying to at least appear to be doing better whether they're doing better or not is a is another discussion but um there's at least an, an effort to changing that but i think our industry on the whole um, confuses, uh, um, equality or, um, um, uh, having groups of people, f um, as including more women into your company. Like it becomes, we're inflating it, uh, women with diversity, whereas there's all these other sorts of levels of diversity that, you know, um, that don't get, sometimes we get on, under the covers. When I was looking at the numbers, you know, women represented about 20% of developers, which is way too low, right? We'd like it yep. to be higher. Um, but people of color represented about 6%. And that's across uh, uh, Latino and African Americans. And that's, that really baffled me. Uh, men and women included, like not just um, um, uh, black men or, or Latino men, right? It's... Um, I think we need to look beyond that because uh, something you mentioned about yourself that I think is also that barrier and that is background. Like uh, growing up where you had a computer growing up, you know, these days the barrier isn't qu quite as high as it was at one point. If I didn't have one rich relative who gave me a computer when I was a kid, 
how different would it have been? You know, would I be working at a Seven Eleven in Fort Lauderdale right now? Probably. Like that's just that's just the reality. Um, it's not like there are a bun- uh, that there are tons of smart people with untapped talent out there. That like that's almost a cliche. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I I don't want to get stuck on the idea of diversity for um, social justice. Like I believe in that, but if we look at our industry and we ignore social justice for a minute, we need to be making better software. We can do that through diversity. Like that's a big part of this. So like that bias and has bled into bad software for years and years and years, you know, um, assuming that everyone is, um, male or female, straight, um, Christian, frankly, you know, mm-hmm. speaking English, like all those things have, have bled into our software. And, and there's a whole litany that I could go into, but I don't want to um, uh, command the uh, uh, podcast for that. But there's a whole bunch of like actual cases of software that has, has hurt people because no one else was in the room. Yeah. Be- you know, we hire for this idea of confident alpha male sort of ideals, which is some of the implicitness that I think that why women aren't given um, as much of their um, due as I think they're due. But if you even look beyond that, we, the, the loud, um, at least outwardly confident people are the ones who drive this stuff, where some of the best ideas are coming from the smallest voices, but they get drowned out because the way that our industry runs meetings or has run them in the past, at least those voices get squelched because, you know, because there's people that are like me love the sound of their own voice and no, no, this is the way instead of let me hear what I'm missing. Exactly. And also it's not a competition. I think when men um, try to, compete against me all of the time. And that presented itself as, you know, in meetings, um, a, a client or whoever would congratulate me on, you know, like a, um, a thing that I did. Right. And, um, a man on the team, this happened to me at multiple jobs would be like, well, I also did this other thing that's important. Why do you need to bring that up? Like we weren't even talking about any part of what you worked on. Like it's not a competition. Yeah. (laughs) That kind of thing. There's, there's interesting uh, thing about that, um, about what you were describing that I find fascinating. I wrote about this a few years ago that, um, you know, there's a lot been said about like, uh, uh, imposter syndrome and all of that. And at some point in my career, I figured out that arrogance was hiding um, insecurity. Like when I meet someone that's arrogant, almost entirely they're arrogant because they want, they're afraid I'm going to find them out. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing to find out. Like that's the truth is uh, we all, you know, are very human and about the way we do our job. And so when I see that, my immediate gut is like, it's okay, you belong here. You're okay. Like, 
and you don't need to know everything. And that's another piece of, I think, that what cre creates this uh, lack of diversity is because I think that is a very male and, frankly, a more of a white male trait to, like, um, you know, uh, no, no, I'm okay, you know, that sort of thing, whereas that's not really how it works. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's take a quick break. I have a segment uh, that I like to call Precious Gems. This is where I take um, comments and questions from social media uh, on our posts. And today I have one that I thought would be good for this conversation. It was a response to um, a quote, many people are excellent in programming without being very good at math. Um, this was from a older episode, actually, uh, last year. And the comment from Nancy Codes uh, was, that is a relief to know. You know, like I, I tell people this all the time. You don't have to know math. I, I am a web dev, you know, like there's no, I, I'm not threading. I'm not like doing anything crazy. I'm literally presenting information on the screen. And so, yeah, you don't need math for that. <laughs> What's interesting there is I, I, that was a topic I talked to a lot of the people when I made Hello World. And what really blew me away is I was talking to John Romero, who some might know as the one of the co-creators of Doom and uh, worked with Quake and uh, developed a bunch of stuff under his own studio. Like, this is one of the, the interviews that I was like, are you sure you're going to allow me to interview? Like, I, uh, I was truly sort of awestruck in it. But we talked about it, and he was like, the computers do the math for you. Why do, why do you need to know the math? Like, yeah. do you need to know, you know, how to... Um, do this and that, you know, we, we have frameworks that do all this stuff. Maybe in the beginning, you really needed to know math mm -hmm. because we didn't have the foundation of all this stuff. But you want to do, an, you know, something as simple as an average, you'll never get out and add all the numbers and divide them by. You'll just call average, right? It's, it's the nature of that. Um, there are some parts of our industry that it's really crucial. You know, people that are writing very low level or very math intensive things. Uh, uh, computer graphics is a good example where math really can help you. But it's like saying that every doctor needs to be good at, at um, OBGYN skills, right? It's not every job. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's um, at first people used to tell me that because I, I was okay at math, I wasn't great. Mm -hmm. But because of that, I, I couldn't be, you know, a dev and that I should go into marketing. <laughs> I was like, well, it's not what I want to do. I'm a tinkerer. I make yeah. stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, so I, I think a lot of, a lot of people in college are, are um, um, pushed out of developing or, or early jobs because of, they see them in, in certain roles, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you'd be better in sales and development, but I hate people like that's just not going to work. And uh, I did want to say on the, on the note about math is I am literally not good at math like that. I have always had an insecurity because I never took high level math. I've never 
I don't understand how trig works. I don't understand, uh, uh, you know, how to write a proof in geometry. Like all these things I should have learned, frankly, in high school and certainly in college. I never got to because I, you know, quit before I had a chance. And so I always sort of hid that as, ooh, this is going to be the thing that's going to get me in trouble. And it rarely has come up. And when it's come up, I can go to someone who is good at math and like, can you help me here? You know? Absolutely. Or um, a calculator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or a library that will do it or whatever it is. It just, sure. you know, I, I don't profess to be the best developer ever, but most of developers out there, you know, don't need to be that alpha male, you know, that, um, is speaking at every conference and trying to wow people and like, you know, most of us see programming as a job, you know, and I think we get caught up in the, that the only career path is you need to go into speaking at conferences and write a book. And then 99% of the developers out there are doing amazing, interesting work and never need to, you know, have the community tell them that they're good enough. That is an excellent segue into our next topic, mental health. I realize about myself, I was, I was literally, you know, freaking out about this and talking to a um, therapist on Monday. I require far too much external validation. As a content creator and an author, I get tons of external validation, um, but I shouldn't need that in order to have like a, a purpose in life or, you know, self-esteem. It shouldn't impact that. Um, anyway, why should we talk about mental health just openly? I, you know, I think... Uh... I think things are changing around that a bit where people are starting to understand. Uh, COVID did a lot for making people aware of exactly how important mental health is. Um, because I, I think again, because, uh, we've been so male dominated for so long that mental health was something you were supposed to walk off or just, you know, past is the past and all that other stuff. You know, the film I'm working on now is very much about that, that, um, the, the, you know, in my, in my case, the wounds of childhood chased me for a long, long time. And, uh, I found solace in, in the work, like being able to just think. Um, but there were times that I should have taken breaks and I should have, you know, taken that vacation instead of bringing my laptop with me, you know, to my, to my wife's uh, detriment. Because there is an, for me, has always been sort of an escape into that. But not being afraid to sort of uh, know that you need help. You know, that's the that's the, the crux of this stuff. That um, I think because in this job I was told that I was supposed to be super smart and that this job was only for the brightest of the brightest and all of that, it gave me this false idea that I had to figure everything out. I had to be capable of figuring everything out, including my own mental health. And it wasn't um, uh, when I started this industry that, that I started to look into things like therapy and, and um, other groups that, that would help me with different things. Um, because I think we just have to face that, that as a society, 
we, as a society, I think we are so focused on productivity that we get caught up in the damage it can do to us as people. You know, I, like you, need uh, external validation, and and I battle with this idea how much I I need it. You know, um, there were years that I lived and died by how many um, Twitter followers I lost and gained that week. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Because that told me what it was, and I, you know, forever I would be like, Hanselman has, you know, ten times the number I have. I must, I should be doing something different, you know? And at that time of my life, I was like, oh yeah, his, this is his job. Like he spends, you know, probably 24 seven, but at least eight hours a day doing this. And I have like work that mm-hmm. isn't related to Twitter. So maybe, you know, give myself a break or that it's not important. I haven't really gotten to the point of that's not important, but <laughs> you know, I'm certainly not you know, healed from it. But uh, I think that's a common thing in that we need to face that, yeah, mental health is, is, is a real issue. Even if all that is, even if you don't have the sort of background I did with sort of uh, recovering from trauma, I think as little as like taking that break or understanding that you don't have to be working 24-7 to have self-worth. Uh, there was a moment in my career, for my, the first like 10 years of my career, I was always the computer guy at the office. Like I was the hero that would come in and save the day. Um, uh, and it was always small uh, companies with a small number of developers. If, if, if I wasn't the only developer, like it was uh, small, medium sized businesses. And uh, I had an opportunity to go somewhere where I wasn't going to be the smartest person in the room. And that was a real crisis of conscience. Like, am I going, am I willing to give this up and be, you know, just another person there? Or am I going to stay in my very comfortable place where I get to be the hero and get myself worth from that? Um, And I ultimately took that chance and it's, you know, it's changed everything about my life, but I don't want to, minimize it it's, it was really scary to make that decision like yeah. i really like what's going to happen to me emotionally and in that decision i had you know i had a bunch of personal problems crop up because i was so i wasn't getting that adulation that i wanted um and had to deal with them in therapy and and uh um, in other ways uh you know and you know it broke up a relationship and just all sorts of things, you know. Right. Um, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay. Everyone has their own problems and issues, mm-hmm. you know, that that I think uh, we need to let go of being ashamed by our, uh, our, our issues with mental health. Because I think we have to uh, accept that everyone has them. And if we didn't try to keep them hidden so much... We wouldn't have to necessarily compete with, oh, they're, you know, no one else is having these problems. Are they? Like, everyone's trying to hide them so much, you know. Exactly. The quote that I love the most I've heard is that nobody, <clears throat> excuse me, nobody pretends to be mentally ill. We all pretend to be okay. And I pretended for such a long time that I had a complete breakdown and ended up taking a year off of work. Um, 
that this wasn't paid, you know? Yeah, of course. I, I had, um, savings. Um, and I remember telling a, um, person at work was concerned and, and she was like, I think you need time off. Like you're, um, having experiences that, that you shouldn't. And I was just like, I can't take time off. I have, you know, responsibilities and a team to, um, take care of. And she asked me if I had, um, savings and I was like, yeah, but I'm like really, really trying to be responsible with my savings and save it for a rainy day. And she looked at me and she was like, honey, I think it's pouring. Like, you know, mm -hmm. do that. And so I took off a whole year and now my company's successful. I'm a content creator full time. I'm an author. I, I just got a deal to write a freaking book, you know? Nice. Um, yeah. So clearly I needed that time to just get my life back together. I was so like, crying every day and hyperventilating and I don't want to cry talking about this. Um, but I'm also by polar. Um, and I have rage episodes, so I'll be, you know, extremely mad about something. Usually my stutter and people being very disrespectful to me about it. Um, and so I'll have these like screaming episodes and I'll be curled up in a ball, just like convulsing and stuff like that. Looking at me like you'd never would think that would be the case, which is why we have to talk about stuff because that's a part of me, um, that exists and it's okay. My therapist said to me, and it made me just sob. There is nothing wrong with you. I think that when people have, um, you know, anxiety or whatever that is looked at, as there's something wrong with you that you need to fix. But I think that if we accept that and lean into it more, that's what I'm trying to do right now. It's really, really hard. <laughs> I think we judge it differently. You know, if I had diabetes, uh, no one, you know, would necessarily say it's a, a failing or if I have, you know, uh, if I needed to take iron supplements every day, mm -hmm. um, they wouldn't think that, you know, oh, you got to keep that quiet. You know, you know, hush, hush. there are people that are against ferrous metals and, you know, um, I hate to quote Pete Davidson, but Pete Davidson on a <laughs> SNL, you know, was talking to, uh, about Kanye and was like, take the pills. Um, yeah, you know, medication is okay. And for a long time I suffered without uh, getting medication because I was afraid it was going to affect my ability to work, that it was going to uh, um, affect my ability to be cognitive about my work, that I wasn't going to be as good at what I did if I took these pills. And, you know, the reality is the opposite was the case. Mm -hmm. I was finally able to sort of focus and not, you know, that, you know, noise in my head that, you know, for years kept me from, sleeping well and all sorts of other things. 
uh, was able to get a little more quiet and I, then I was able to focus more on work and I, you know, I still have my own battles around that, but, uh, um, I think it's okay. And we don't have to pretend that the people uh, um, that need medication are less than, or, you know, um, it just frustrates me that we have that sort of thing. We have to keep it secret. My boss might tell he'll think I'm sick or I'm going to do this or, you know, that I'm mentally unstable and they won't give me the critical jobs. And, yeah. <sighs> I know. It's it's a you know? big, huge sigh. Um, part of my utter and complete breakdown was that I had a job where I I started to realize that I needed to tell people what was going on. I was calling out like every week, you know, a couple times because I was just like, yeah, going through it. Right. And so I started to tell um, people what was happening that, you know, I was um, having a mental breakdown and I told them I was <laughs> bipolar um, and the CEO of the company I worked for, it was small. So, you know, I was um, close to him ish. Right. He not only messaged me telling me to top, stop t telling people um, <laughs> because of the stigma that right. he was perpetuating. Um, he messaged everybody that I had told and told them to keep it quiet. And at the time I didn't know that I was allowed to be upset about that. Yeah. I had to have someone else tell me that that wasn't okay to make me realize that I, I had to get away from that company as soon as possible. And so I quit. And the next year I, I worked very part-time. I was, I was off mostly, but you know, like I, I wasn't being paid. So, um, but I will say plural site saved me because passive income. So I still mm -hmm. had an income, even though I wasn't working. And that's the reason I joined Pluralsight because yeah. I had lost so many jobs that I needed that, um, padding. Yeah. So. I had a similar experience where most of my jobs were about a year. Um, I didn't get laid off. I just got bored and I needed the excitement. Like that I was sort that of the, the thing that I drove and, um, People would look at my resume and were like, you've been a contractor for a long time. I'm like, I haven't. I just haven't stayed more than a year. Like, it looked like I was taking one-year contracts over and over and over again. I'm like, no. No. Um, I was a, actually a, a sort of a bellwether in Boston in the, in the 90s that I kept on leaving companies about four months before they'd collapse. You know, I'd smell what was in the air. And it's like, I don't want to be laid off. Um, I want to leave on my own terms. And, so, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole other thing. Uh, yeah. I've, I've also had the experience of working for companies right before they collapse. And I ended up staying loyal and staying until the very last day. And, and I wasn't paid what yeah. I was due. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'd been at a couple of companies very early in my career that I never got last paychecks and stuff yeah. because I was like, I'm not. I'm not letting that happen again. Yeah. 
<laughs> I would I would highly su suggest to people that if you see a whole bunch of executives leaving at the same time, get on out of there. Yeah. <laughs> unless they're leaving because they're terrible people and you know, like Yeah. But if if the company is clearly having um issues, just just go. Don't stay until the very last day because it's really a lot. It's it's taxing on you mentally. And then on top of that, you aren't paid what you're worth. You will never be paid when the doors close, yeah. no matter what they promise. <laughs> and as this uh, ship is thinking, often um, you'll be expected to be sort of a superhero to take up the slack and all other things that just no. Yeah. No. no, don't put yourself through that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So why, why is it important to you to be I, honestly the best male ally that I've ever met for women? Well, I, I, I certainly don't want to uh, take that helm. Um, <laughs> there are other, great allies out there. I've talked to a lot of different people that are really um, amazing people that uh, uh, um, ally for women and people of color. So I certainly don't want to claim any sort of crown. It really came um, uh, down to a humbling moment of seeing my own, um, uh, my own role in all of this. Like that, that I thought for years that I was the good guy and to realize that, that I fell into the same trap really was, was, uh, uh um, humbling and, uh, frankly, shameful. Like I wanted to do something about it. That's why I shifted my film from, uh, software is perfect to, Oh, maybe we should, maybe we should at least tell the story. You know, I don't, I don't have the things to fix it. Um, but, um, shining a light on it made me aware, you know, where I had, I had slipped and um, I don't like hold that as this big well of shame or anything. Uh, but I think this comes down to the, the idea of, of allies in general that I'll just talk about. There are people in companies um, that are overtly sexist, overtly racist, um, uh, et cetera. And they, they do exist. And I don't think they're the, the problem in the industry. I think all of the people like me who stayed quiet while they watched it are the real problem. Because they're a vast minority, but that majority of people who didn't want to um, cause waves and talk about this or challenge them or at least report them um, are, are the problem. It, yeah. To me, it's just... And, and it's not just white guys that do this. It's women, it's people of color, you know, uh, unfortunately women and people of color feel like they're on the edge of being fired at every moment. And so in many ways they're even less willing to do it. You know, we, we have a number of very capable, um, amazing women in this industry. And many of them have, have been able to get that because they've been able to sort of, um, adopt male characteristics to make them fit in. Julie Lerman talks about changing the way she dressed um, in order to be seen as one of the guys. Like we, th that's the part that, that shouldn't be um, 
a requirement. And so I, I would hope that, you know, the audience for my film was less women going, yeah, that's right. And more of hopefully people like me um, that could, could see their own bias and make the change in their own small worlds. Like um, you don't have to be a champion of X or Y, but you also need not shut up when you see it. Like climbing up when you see it is the worst disservice we can do. Yeah. I think it's also really important for leaders when, you know, a person comes to them with a problem, your initial response should never be, you are overreacting. You should never say that the person is wrong. You need to ask them questions as to why they feel that way and take care of them and not protect your bros. <laughs> yeah. Protect anyone really, you know, mm -hmm. because the, if you hear this stuff happening in your company, even once you need to investigate it. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, if, to use a software analogy, if you find a bug and you just disable the button, the bug's still going to be sitting there the whole time. You can't just ignore it. And that's, I feel like that's often what happens is like, I don't want to take this on as well. And this is a bigger problem. And if I just shut this person down, then we don't have to deal with it. Well, you're going to have to deal with it. You know? And it'll become worse because yeah. you avoided it in the first place. Or and in many ways emboldened them. Exactly. Exactly. You emboldened them. I cannot tell you how many times I complained about a man at work because he was condescending or, you know, competing against me or just questioning my content creation in front of a client. I had that happen once. Someone yeah. asked me, why are, are your courses on Pluralsight? Why aren't they on YouTube, you know, for free? I mean, like yeah. my heart is, I'm so, this was years ago too, but, um, a lot of the times I experienced where like I would complain and not only would I be told I overreacted, he never meant to say that by the manager, not from mm. the guy. And then he would get promoted into management. That is not only emboldening his behavior, that is enforcing it. Enabling it at least. Enabling it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so what happened after that? He was even more condescending and even more like horrible towards me in front of actual clients where we're mm -hmm. supposed to present a united front. Yeah. If there had just been one person in the room who would call him out and actually once a client called out a guy that was treating me bad, he like um, interrupted him, right? And was just like, I think what Shelly's doing is amazing. Period. You know, that's what we need. We need people to speak up when you can clearly see that someone's being an asshole. <laughs> you know? At the heart of this um, is also this idea that I think this American idea that business is about crawling your way over other people to get to the top. Mm -hmm. And that, that hasn't been my experience. You know, the best things I've ever done in my career are the people that I, you know, 
I felt like I helped lift up. Um, sometimes that was just confidence. Sometimes that was helping them technically. So they understood things like that's kind of why I got into teaching was I felt like, uh, I was a better teacher than I was a, a, a developer. Like I just, I, I have that instinct about it, that being able to, um, do that. And the idea that I, I could touch people's lives by the, I'm so sorry. I thought this was, no, okay. um, but I could touch people's lives by uh, uh, mentoring them. Like the teams I, I ran, I felt very uh, strongly about that my job was not just to make sure their schedules showed up, but that they were um, happy and confident in their job and that they would do a better job if that were true. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, what uh, what advice do you have for anyone who is interested in a career in tech? That's tough right now. I used to talk a lot about um, uh, boot camps and that sort of thing to get started. And we do have a problem in this industry where the entry level requires three years of experience sort of problem. Mm -hmm. like that. That is, that is a real issue. Um, you know, uh, there are lots of ways if you look at them carefully to learn how to get um, um, confident in this career. One of the things that I'm, I'm, it's very important to me, and I don't know how much movement is happening, but I'm trying to get people away from the idea of hiring for skills. The skills kind of don't matter. Um, people are like, well, I have to keep up because everything's changing so fast. Yeah, so when you hired me for X skill, it's going to be gone in two years. Why'd you hire me for X skill instead of? my natural ability to learn or my curiosity or I hate to use the word passion. That's sort of become a code word for you're willing to overwork. But um, uh, there are other ways of doing that. And until the industry changes a little, you know, um, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think college isn't an option, um, but there are other paths. There's plenty of other paths, whether you, take online courses on YouTube and start to understand what you're doing. I learn by building. I don't learn by watching. Like I'm, I, I'm notoriously bad, would be a bad Pluralsight student. Me too. Because <laughs> it's not really the nature of the way uh, I learn. And so understanding the way you learn, I think can really change that. And then you can bring that confidence into the, into the interview. Now, if, if you're, uh, um, a woman or a person of color or a person from another country, um, it's still a hard, uh, still hard task to get in the door. Like I don't have a magic cure for that. Um, problem is industry blames uh, colleges, colleges blame high schools, and who who's really at fault? Like it becomes this circular thing of we can't, we don't have enough tech people. Well, you do if you would hire the people you've discounted. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I am so sad that we're running out of time. Um, I, I could talk to you for hours and hours, but before I let you go, can you tell us uh, where people can connect with you online? Sure. I'm uh, at uh, on Twitter at Sean Wildermuth, just my name. Uh, my blog is at wildermuth.com. My company is at wilderminds.com. And I currently am running a Kickstarter through the middle of November. I'm not sure when this will go out. 
um, uh, where I'm raising funds to, to finish my, my movie about childhood sexual abuse of men. Um, and if you want to contribute or back that, you can get there by going to Sean L dot I N K or Sean link the period before the I, uh, slash I'm fine dash chaos for case, uh, for Kickstarter. Um, awesome. Even if you just want to share that information with your, your friends, we just want to reach as many people who might be interested in this topic. Yes, it is a very important topic, and I will have links to all that in the show notes and description. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to little old me. <laughs> it's not like that at all. It's not a, <laughs> uh, uh, have confidence in it. You've earned your space. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. <laughs> If you want to support us, please like, subscribe, and share this episode with your fellow gems. Let me know in the comments what other topics you would like me to cover, and follow TRs in Tech on social media, and use the hashtag MakeYourselfShine. Thanks for watching, or listening, and have a great day!